We are moving on to our study. If you remember last week, we were in Genesis 10, and it was a genealogy, and we tried to unpack some really cool stuff. It's the second genealogy that we've encountered through our study. And so now we are jumping into Genesis 11. And if you were here last week through this genealogy, I kept referencing Genesis chapter 11 because this genealogy uh, of Genesis 10 does not just run through and where it drops you off at the end is 11. It's referencing Genesis 11 is happening in the midst of Uh, Genesis 10, we see Ham's descendant and we see Nimrod and Nimrod was the one who came to power and built uh, when they settled in Shinar. And so that's, that's right in the middle of chapter 10. And so it's going to give us a long history, but right in the middle is where this is happening. And we're going to see through that genealogy, we saw that everybody had their own language how it ended each, it went through Japheth, it went through Ham, and it went through Shem's lineage, and each people had their own language, right? And we're going to begin this with that the whole earth had one language. So to unpack that for you, if you weren't here last week, that's not a contradiction. That is, this is happening before the everyone have one language. So it's not straight chronological, but it's a This is the lineage. Now let's go back and unpack that. That all makes sense? Cool. So Genesis chapter 11, we're going to just go through uh, verses 1 through 9. Funny story. uh, If you were here last week, so I was was talking about um, the judge, not judgment, but justice and how I needed, I, I think it's from my my family and law enforcement, I have just this strong desire that I want to see justice served. And uh, if you, I won't go through the whole sermon, but if you go through chapter 10, it just doesn't seem, it seems like the guys who shouldn't be thriving are thriving and the guys who should be thriving aren't. And it's frustrating, like, Lord, where's, where's your justice in this? And uh, you'll have to go back to listen to it online to find the resolve to that. But I, th- I told a story last week of how me and my buddies went on this vigilante run and caught a couple of guys who stole a phone and everything. And it was so funny that this week on Thursday, Micah and I left for a Calvary Chapel worship conference in uh, Chino Valley at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. We were leading worship on Friday morning. And then we were uh, on a Q and a panel. And then I taught a workshop on worship at it. But on our way down Thursday night, uh, driving in my truck, getting off the freeway, and I get halfway through an intersection and I hear screeching. So I stop and right to our right, there's a red truck where we should have been a red truck. And I don't know where the screeching comes from. And this big lifted truck just plows like full speed into the back of this red truck and throws that red truck in the intersection. And by God's grace, Worse, because I stopped not knowing where the screeching was coming from. I just like, I'm not going through this intersection. I'm hearing screeching. So this truck pulls over and I pull up next to them, like to make sure these guys are okay. So Mike and I get out of the truck, like, hey, you guys okay? They just got obliterated. And the the truck behind mangled front end, like front uh, right tire is almost totally sideways. And I look back in the intersection, that truck's not there. And then I look at Micah and I was like, did that? that truck take off? He's like, yeah. 
And so I just, I literally, we didn't have to say anything. I just pointed at my truck and we both jumped in the truck and then began this like long hunt, uh, searching for this truck. Like we, we, it was amazing that we ended up finding it because we drove all over a town that we don't know. And we ended up following the, uh, the rubber marks and shrapnel that's falling off this busted truck as this guy's trying to run. And he's just leaving this trail of this sideways tire that's screeching, that's like screeching through the street. And then we lose that trail. So we're kind of bummed like, Oh, he got away. And then Micah goes, no, look. And it's, he's totally lost his tire and it's a, his rim mark. It's just this like white line that he's carving into the street so we follow that for a while, and then we eventually, I mean, we're going all through neighborhoods and everything, uh, turning into places, like just totally on the hunt, and then we turn down a street, and we see uh, blue and red lights, and like right then, I was satisfied. Like right then, I was like, yes! And the guy was obviously uh, super, super drunk. So we went up, talked to the police officer, talked to the guys. They were super excited. Like, thanks guys. They got him. Blah, 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 blah. But Mike and I were cracking up once it all settled and we got back in the truck trying to get to the conference. Still, I was like, this is exactly what we talked about last week. Like as soon as I heard the, the truck left that same thing, I was telling you of like, I need justice. Just like welled up in me. I was like, this is, this is totally another analogy for last week. So it has nothing to do with this week. But I told Mike, as as soon as we got on the truck, I was like, this will have nothing to do with the tower of Babel, but I have to tell the story because it is exactly what last week was. And it's so funny that something happens in life to where it mirrors it. Exactly. So that babbling aside, let's, uh, if you need a Bible, anybody need a Bible, you raise your hand. Michael will grab you one. Awesome. Red ones, larger print. Black ones are unreadable. Just full of straight lines. You can't even tell what it is. Um, Genesis 11, 1 through 9. And if you guys would, yeah, right up here. Would you guys stand with me for the reading of the word? Please. So remember, we just came off of this genealogy, and now we're jumping back into kind of the middle of this genealogy and unpacking now what's going on in this. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. This is only beginning of what they will do and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there down and there confuse their language and that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because the Lord there, the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you're doing in this fellowship. Lord, thank you for stretching us. Thank you for giving us uh, vision. Lord, thank you for your provision uh, in all that you had for us. Lord, 
Our desire tonight is to be faithful with the reading of your word, Lord, with the study of your word. And Holy Spirit, we uh, are not equipped to do that in and of ourselves, but empowered by you, Lord, we can. These living words are changing us from the inside out. So we ask that you would be um, the director tonight, not me. Lord Jesus, would you be the hero tonight, not me? And would you uh, guide all of us as we study your word together, and that this would uh, find good soil in all of our hearts, and that this would bear fruit tangibly in our lives, uh, moving forward for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Go to have a seat. So before we jump into it, there's one thing that I want to, I think it's going to help us uh, unpack this, is I want to further... I want to widen our definition, uh, maybe your definition is already wide, but I want to widen our definition of godlessness. I think a lot of times, and I'll, I speak for myself, I guess, when I say this, but godlessness is um, a wickedness that is tangible. It's a, a direct going against what the Lord has. It's a, um, we, we, we would view it as more an obvious opposition to the Lord. We, we studied that Nimrod was... Uh, it says before the Lord, and it, when it says that, it means in the face of the Lord, like defiance. So we think of godlessness as this direct opposition to what the Lord has in us. And I want to widen our definition to maybe something that hits more home to us as believers, is godlessness is also just not consulting God, is not pursuing him, is forgetting him, and going about our day, maybe not doing things that we would consider wicked, but leaving him out of the equation. That this godlessness is having not approached the Lord as is living life on our own. And we're going to unpack what that looks like as, as we're going to see godlessness in this. Um, we're going to see it in the people. And in doing so, I think in scripture, a lot of times we, we look into that mirror and we, we see ourselves in it. We see ourselves in these stories. We see... Um, a broken human nature and we see it from the beginning of history and we see kind of a bit of our identity and a bit of how we stumble throughout. And so as we go through this, just a quick redefinition or a widening of it, widening of a definition is godlessness doesn't have to be um, some wretched sin. That's, that's very obvious and a fist to the sky at the Lord, but it's also just acting as if the Lord doesn't exist, acting as if we can go about our day and not consult him and not lay things at our feet and not live in submission to him. Uh, that is our godlessness. So remember last week we, we unpacked 10, which I've covered, and we got to where they, they traveled east or that through Ham's descendants, we get to Shinar, where everyone settles. And that's where we're picking up here. Again, it wasn't chronological that 10 left us off right here at 11, but it's giving the history, the descendants of all the brothers. And now here we're jumping right back into um, the people settling together. And we're going to see where all these languages come from at the end, where it says the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. So we see first in chapter one, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as a people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled. So we see that uh, in 10 with Nimrod and, and them settling. And if you, uh, if throughout this whole study of Genesis, I feel like one of the main things, and I don't really set out to do this, I don't think, but it seems like it's a constant thing is happening is I've been just trying to pump the brakes 
on reading through Genesis because it's proven helpful for me. I, I hope it's helpful for you guys. But we read through these stories that are so familiar. I think Genesis is so familiar with these stories that we read through them having like, I know what's happening here. I know what's happening here. And don't sit and digest it like it's the first time reading through it. And so as I think this scripture for me, this, this chapter in this story is easy to misunderstand or not get the, the nuggets out of what's happening because right there, what I just read, it sounds kind of like an ideal situation. It doesn't sound like anything's really going on. They settled, they, they were building, they were, uh, we have to know Verses past, specifically chapter nine and going back to Genesis one, what is happening? What's the contrast? What's the condition of the heart happening here? It looks like a, uh, the ideal situation. But if we look back to, if you turn with me to Genesis nine, we're going to cover two verses and we're going to see right away the sharp contrast that's happening in the condition of the people's heart. And we can see how quickly the people are forgetting the Lord. You remember, these are the descendants of Noah and his sons and their families are the only ones saved from this ark. And man was wicked and the Lord saved them because of Noah's faith. And they're coming off this ark and we're, we're seeing how quickly we as human beings forget the Lord and start going about our own way, about our own business and are built uh, with our broken nature to turn inward on ourselves and really be opposed to the Lord. So it says in, let me read uh, chapter 11 real quick. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain of the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bit you in for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, at face value, I don't know if you see, if we, if we can see what's happening here, the disobedience that's happening here. But if we look back to nine, where you should be now, uh, the Lord says this twice, and this is to Noah. And if we go back to Genesis, which we'll do it after this, we even see this is the common theme, the, the charge that's given to mankind, given to Adam. But um, Genesis 9, 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, so here's the marching orders for them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then what are we seeing back up in? Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. So there is this arrogance and this pride of keeping, keeping it together, keeping it here. Let's build a name for ourselves and we don't want to be dispersed over all the earth, which those were their marching orders from the Lord. And then also in nine, seven, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. We see already that these hearts are turned away from the Lord and looking to Lord, what would you have us do on earth? What's our mission? What's our calling here? We are submitted to you as our King. And we're asking you what, what should we do here on the earth? There are these, these hearts are already turned and they're already turned in on themselves. They're saying, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to stay here and build this to make a name for ourselves so that we're not dispersed over all the earth, that we can build this enclave here in this one place and make a name for ourselves. And right there now reading it in context with the rest of Genesis, we see the pride and the arrogance and the short mindedness the short term memory of us as humans 
of how easily it is to walk away, to forget the Lord and pursue our own pride, pursue our own name and not be about the mission or the calling that he's given us, but to pursue the own, our own things that we want, our own desires. Um, so then we see we uh, there's what's amazing in this is the Lord's sovereignty. And whenever we get into the Lord's sovereignty, this is such a bigger concept that I can unpack on a Sunday night or a hundred Sunday nights is something we have to unpack. But it's, I think it's something that's easy to see, maybe understand is a different word, but it's easy to see here to where this, the, the goodness of the Lord in that he has in the disobedience of not fulfilling this calling of this is what we're called to do. The Lord then is drawing them and brings away about even it's uncomfortable, but brings away about that his will would be done. Uh, so one example is the story of Jonah. Jonah has a mission, right? And then he fights that mission because of his own desires. Now, ultimately in the end, does the Lord have his way? He does, right? He has his way with Jonah. Now, is, was it an easy road? Was it a comfortable road for Jonah? No, it wasn't. Here we see the Lord is going to have his way. If you read ahead, which we already did, but if you read ahead, what the Lord is asking in 9197, also in Genesis 128, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So this reoccurring charge to humanity that's happening, that they're not fulfilling. We find at the end of this story, therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. His will is being accomplished yet. He's having to poke and prod, I guess his, his people to be doing it. It's a, we also see it, a, a new, new Testament example. If you turn with me to Acts, um, Acts chapter one, and this is really easy to remember. We're going to do, remember Acts one, eight and Acts eight, one, one, eight, eight, one, one, eight, eight, one. Remember that. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, and look at the similarities of back to Genesis, back to one, 28, nine, one, nine, seven, Acts one, eight. This is when Jesus is giving this, this great commission. He says, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? So it's this still, you guys, you're going to reach the ends of the earth. Now, as we work through Acts chapter two, where are they? Jerusalem. Chapter three, where are they? Jerusalem. Chapter four, where are they? Jerusalem. Chapter five, where are they? Jerusalem. Six, Jerusalem. Seven, Jerusalem. We get to eight one. And this is why I said one eight, eight one. So one eight is the call. Eight one is the fulfillment of the call. And look how it happens. Acts eight, chapter one. Uh, and Saul approved, it starts in kind of mid-sentence, and Saul approved his execution. It's talking about Stephen, then moving forward. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So how did they end up getting scattered? How did the, the will become accomplished by uh, on the, filling the earth? Was persecution. 
was a harder trial, maybe a, a learning needing to learn by experience rather than learning from the wisdom of, of someone else. I don't know. I can speculate. Um, I would guess that if the people spread out and were submitted to the Lord and not looking upon themselves that we don't have the, the story of Babel. And I would suspect that in acts that if we are reaching out and going and they're spreading out to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, that this same thing is going to happen now going back and doing what ifs and this would change is fruitless because it, our minds can't comprehend that. And we're trying to comprehend a, a God that's outside of time and space. But we see that the Lord's will, the point is that the Lord's will is going to be accomplished. He's giving us an opportunity to step into that redemptive framework. He's giving us an opportunity to play a part in that. And the more we submit to that authority, that will is going to be accomplished. And when we push against that authority, we, we see that in Jonah, we see that in Acts, we see that through all throughout scripture, the Lord's will is going to be accomplished. It's he's extending to you this gift to play a part in it. And it's, it's to our benefit to obey. It's to our benefit to submit and to follow and be submissive to our Lord and King and die to our own desires. That makes sense. So as we go further, let's dig into, so why are they, why are they this way? What's the core issue here? The core issue is, well, the thing we need to ask is why, what is, what is their, why, what is their reasoning? And we already unpacked that it's two things to make a name for themselves. And then secondly, what we just covered is so that it wouldn't be spread out. They wouldn't be dispersed. They wouldn't be divided up. What is the, I would say the nucleus, what is the core of that thought process? Who's at the center of that thought process? Them, right? Make a name for ourselves that we, there's no language of speaking of Make a name for the Lord. What is the Lord's will for us? Let's, let's direct people to him. What would he have us do? Would he have us spread out? Would he have us stay here? Let's go back. Oh, you guys remember he asked us to actually spread out, fill the earth, rule it and subdue it. We should probably do that. There's no language of that. It's we have, we have brought this power together and now we're going to stay here. We're going to concentrate this power and it's going to be out about us and making a name for ourselves. Um, like I was saying before, there's no, this is where this godlessness I think comes into play because specifically building and planning and um, being productive is not the issue here. Uh, I've, I, I remember having questions with this of thinking that the issue was with this tower itself and like, the Lord thought they were going to reach him or this and that, and that the tower and the productivity and that the fact that the people could all communicate, it, it was uh, confusing to me. Like, why is it bad that they're all speaking the same language? And I wasn't seeing that it's because they're not fulfilling what the Lord's called them to do. And I'm also not seeing the godlessness of not simply doing something in the face of God, but doing things without consulting God, doing things as if God doesn't exist and doing it out of arrogance and pride. The same thing we see in Genesis three of elevating, taking ourselves outside of the kingship 
of Jesus, of the Lordship of under God's covering, placing ourselves in that position of reigning and ruling and watching everything crumble beneath us. The same thing is happening here. This pride and this arrogance, it's not specifically, we're going to shake our fist at the sky at God and we're going to show him, but it's, Hey, we're making a name for ourselves. We're going to do our thing. And they're just forgetting God They're He, as if he doesn't exist. And it's the same godlessness. It's the same godlessness. And I think, as I said before, that's probably, we're more prone to fall into that, to going about our day, kind of feeling as though I can, I can manage this day. I can manage my life. I'll consult God when there's big issues, when stuff falls apart, when there, when the doctor tells me something that I can't control, then I'm going to go to him and Lord, what would you have me do and asking questions? But by and large, I can manage life. I can make decisions. I can do my thing. That's a still a godlessness. We are to lay everything at his feet, come before him, laying our plans, our hopes, our dreams, our desire at his feet, dying to ourselves and asking him, what do you want from me? Not what do I want out of life? This is my desires. I want to make this out of a name for myself in this way, but Lord have it all. Now, how do you want to direct me? How would you have me live and laying everything at his feet and living a life that every day is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We see this in Proverbs three, five through six. This is a verse that you probably all of, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, same thing, hit the brakes and let this verse sink in just this next line. Don't read through it as a verse that we've memorized and we've heard it a million times. Chapter or verse six in all your ways, acknowledge him in all your ways, acknowledge him, not in the important events in life, acknowledge him, not when you can't figure it out for yourself, then go acknowledge him in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he's going to direct your path. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one who's going to get you to where he wants you to be. Cause he's none of us can see five minutes in front of our face. None of us know what's happening when we walk out those doors, if we're blessed to walk out those doors. Yet the Lord sees the end from the beginning. He's the one who's guiding us. How foolish would we be to feel like we can direct our lives when we are so short-sighted as human beings, but we look to him and empty ourselves and ask him to direct us. And so this, this godlessness that they're, they're displaying of not going to the Lord, not in all their ways, acknowledging him, but forgetting him for leaving him in the backseat is this boasting and this arrogance. Uh, if you could turn with me to James four, this is another verse that I'm a very, um, task oriented execute. Here's a list of things to do. Let's make it happen. I'm not a, uh, shoot from the hip. Hey, it's all good. Kind of guy. Um, just the way I'm wired is I, I want plans. I want a detail. I want vision. I want a goal to run after, and I want to hit tangible, uh, measurable goals along the way. And I want to see things through and I want to commit to things. That's how my brain works. So this verse I'm having us read used to mess with me because I misunderstood it. James four thirteen through 16. 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? If you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will give, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So I used to read that and think, man, I am so much more productive planning and executing and like, here's a vision. Now run after that vision. Now there's the end in mind. Now let's work, let's work backwards. Let's find how do we get there? Now let's get there. And then I'd read this and be like, I don't think I'm supposed to do that. I think I'm supposed to just fly by the seat of my pants and like, Hey, tomorrow's going to figure it out. Cause I can't say what we're doing tomorrow. Cause who knows? And they really would mess with me. Problem is that's not what this verse is saying. So maybe you all knew this and I'm, I'm late to the party, but that's not what the verse is saying here. It's a condition of the heart. It's this arrogance of you're saying you're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to go turn a profit here. This is what you're going about. And you haven't talked to the Lord once, you know, nothing. You don't realize how short-sighted you are that you're just going to go about your business. You're going to say that all of these things are going to happen and not talk to the Lord. He's not talking about being productive and having goals and having vision and running after something. That's not what he's talking about. We are to do that. We should be diligent. We should be faithful with small things. We should be doing things decently and in order. We should be a productive people as believers. That should be something that the, the world looks in at this counterculture of believers and go like, Hey, say what you want about them, but they get stuff done. That should be a calling card for us as believers. The problem here is your arrogance that you're going to do this without the Lord. Arrogance, pride, boasting. It's as if me, so with this new building that we're going to, maybe you don't see that as boasting. Look at it this way. If we're in this new building, right? Um, I'm trying to make, figure this one out here on the spot. So we're, we're going to this new building and me, as the, the worship leader or whatever, I just, I go up there on evenings all by myself with a shovel and some tools, and I start building, I don't know, whatever I want to, like a swing set in the middle of where the sanctuary is, right? So a swing set in and of itself is not evil, right? There's nothing sinful about a swing set. And then me doing work, there's nothing sinful about the work, right? Me building something and being productive. What's the problem? The problem is, is when pastor Rob, the contractor show up and they go, what? Why is there a swing set here? It's like, because like, I just thought in my own head, a swing set would be awesome in the middle of service. Cause if kids got rowdy, they could get on the swing and da, da, da. And it, the, the thing that everybody would know is like, who do you think you are that you come in here at night and build a swing set? Like what arrogance do you have that you can just make these calls? And like, we have this big plan. We have blueprints. We have an architect. We have a plan of what we're going to do in this building. And you just have this arrogance that this is going to happen. That's, that's what's happening here. This arrogance of not going to the Lord asking him, what would you have? What would you ask from me? 
but saying, I'm going to do it on my own. You know, I think it's a good idea. Swing set in the middle of the sanctuary. It's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen and execute it. So these things of this tower specifically is not the center of attention here. What's the center of attention? The wickedness of the heart of man turned in on itself, looking out for self, not pursuing the Lord, not asking the Lord, what would you, uh, what would you have from me? Now it ends and it's a beautiful ending is we see, um, we see the people say, so in Hebrew, and I don't want to get too brainy, but if you like little brainy stuff, then this is going to be a fun, fun thing for you real quick. Uh, antithetical parallelism is a common Hebrew poetry uh, literary design. You see it all through. It's really common in Psalms. So what it is. So forget the large word and name. Let's just say what it is. It's, it's giving an idea with two opposing statements. So with Psalms, it's like the wise do this and the foolish do this. It's saying the same thing, but it has opposing sentences, right? Opposing statements. So that is happening. We lose it within our English translation, but that is happening in Hebrew throughout this whole uh, verse one through nine. So really interesting just to give you an overview. It's cause I think it's really cool. Um, little side trail. One contrasts nine, two contrasts eight, three contrasts six and seven and four and five. It's this contrast. So it's, this arrogance of man is running through. And then we see in the end, the Lord's uh, will being done. So one of those is come, let us build for ourselves a city and tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. The very next verse, verse five, and the Lord came down. Now what this is not saying is you have to understand uh, Moses here. The author here is, painting a picture. What he's not saying is that the Lord had no idea what was going on. And he had to come down to earth to be like, Whoa, Hey, I didn't realize you guys are doing this tower. What's going on here. It's showing that come let it's showing the air. It's so it's contrasting two things. Come let us build this tower up into the heavens and then contrast to even see the tower. God has to come down. They're nowhere close. It's showing the, the minusculeness of man's pride and his tower and the greatness of our God that he has to come down, lower himself just to even see this mega awesome tower that they're trying to build. You see, you see that? So this is happening all through this chapter. Um, or is it here? Oh, and then uh, two things are happening here. You guys remember through, it was through, uh, Genesis three, we see the first sin and Adam and Eve cast out. And then also I brought it up again with, uh, the flood story is that these are big, like punishment times, but I was trying to get us to see it through the lens of grace and mercy. The same thing is happening here. The Lord, if, if we can read it in context from the beginning through, this is the Lord having grace and mercy on mankind. We are on, in, in all these instances, we're on this collision course with disaster. And the Lord 
pushes us out of the way and thwarts humanity from this immediate nosedive that they're about to go in. And so instead of viewing it as the Lord just gets mad and goes, ah, flood, kill them all. Ah, I hate them. Confuse them. I'm over these people is he's showing grace and mercy and keeping us from this. Remember I was saying from three to 12, it's this quick downward spiral is he's showing grace and mercy. In uh, 2017, there was uh, this kid um, who was high and, and or drunk went into a fire station calling 911 and had a, a knife to his throat. And so the, um, the officers showed up and they were waiting. They put a call into a negotiator to come and talk to the kid. He's threatening to stab himself in the neck. And so the negotiator comes or is, is on his way. But before the negotiator can get there, the kid is moving, to, won't stop and is moving towards the officers. And so one officer has uh, the gun with the rubber bullets and he fires two rubber bullets at the kid. Uh, hits him in the head. He loses the knife. The kid lives. They get him. They arrest him. So fast forward, that kid had to have, because he got hit in the head with these rubber bullets, his brain swole and he had to have immediate surgery. So they rushed him to the hospital. He has surgery and he has a chunk of his skull. that's missing now because they had to open him up. He's fine. Everything works, but now he has a hole in his skull. So he sued the officer who shot him for $10 million. Now he, and what's sad is he ended up winning $1.7 million. But the thought is this, is that this kid is running towards death. And the action of this officer is grace and mercy. Now, was it comfortable to get hit by two rubber bullets in the head? No, but you were running towards your death. The parallel here is the same is that we are running towards our death and we should not be frustrated when the Lord, when he has to push us out of the way, when he has to move us and it's uncomfortable for us to like, no, 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 but I want my things and I want my pride and I want my own name. And that gets ripped away from us and it's painful. Remember that we can't be angry at the Lord for we've, we've left his covering and we're running towards disaster and death. And so this is his grace and his, and his mercy. He's being long suffering and really in a, almost like the, the most non-confrontational punishment I can think of is he just says, all right, I'm going to confuse the language and everyone disperses like, man, that was really good problem solving. The Lord just fixed it. Like I want them everywhere and they're prideful altogether. So here, here's where, here's all your languages. Everybody disperses problem solved. Keep going guys. Like pretty awesome how the Lord did that. It wasn't a flood. Cause remember he promised with the rainbow, the rainbow rainbow reminds God that he's not going to the fill the earth like that again. So we can see the arrogance of us as people. We can see the, the godlessness of when we don't, bring everything before the Lord, lay everything at his feet. Our disobedience shows a posture of arrogance, but our obedience to the Lord shows a posture of humility. And that posture of humility is a posture of submission. 
And that submission is what we see in the garden. And we see the original intent. We see the position that we're called to be as believers of stepping back underneath the Lordship, stepping underneath his reign as our King, as our Lord, not just the one who saved us, not just our savior, but our Lord, Jesus, you have saved me. And I thank you for it. But I also recognize you now as the one who's directing my life. You're my King, you're my Lord, your rules, your plans, your will happen in my life and not my own. So how do we stay motivated to obey? Really hard question. We all have trouble obeying, right? We've all sinned today, right? I think we've all done something that probably was not, Lord didn't, wasn't super happy with, right? We all sin daily. So how, what is, how do we maintain this motivation to, to be submitting to him? to be obedient to him, to have humble hearts and submitted hearts to him and to obey. I think it's easier said than done like a lot of things, but we find it just in the simplicity of the gospel. When we see and remember and daily digest the debt that we have been set free from, it produces grateful hearts. It produces a dependence it's me saying, I was never going to be able to pay that debt. I was dead in my sins. I was dead in my trespasses. I was never going to be able to get myself out of that hole, out of that rut. But the Lord came as a free gift while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, pursued us and redeemed us and brought us into the family as a free gift to us. And as I digest that, the gospel, it humbles my heart because I can't do it. It screams, I can't do it. And it screams, my king did it for me. And it produces a humble heart. It produces a thankful heart that he did it for me. That the only reason I have a hope is because of free gift that he gave to me. The only reason I have tomorrow is because of what he has done for me. The only reason I have a witness, whatever it may be, is because what Christ has done for us freely and as he freely gave to us, we are to freely give. And that produces in me, that produces in you as we digest the gospel story daily. It produces in us a willingness and a humility that we can't do it on our own. And because we can't do it on our own, I need to look to something greater than me to guide me in my everyday. And that thing greater than me is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just something to get you saved. And then you learn the gospel, you heard the gospel and you raise your hand and you became saved. The gospel is what we digest daily. It's our hope that we have that as we look to it, it empowers us that this is what Christ did for us that we can never do for ourselves. And then when we do that, when we have this humility, then that humility is producing this obedience and that obedience is going to call us out. What these people were trading in is they were trading, they were pursuing comfort and abandoning their calling. They were called to do something and they elevated their own personal comfort above that thing and kept it. Now 
as we flip that and as we digest the gospel and learn what we've been saved from and learn what we've been saved to and daily we're thankful for it and it, it's producing a grateful and thankful heart that's wanting to see the Lord's will done and not our own will because we know in our own self there's, there's nothing that we can accomplish that has any kind of everlasting effect. And as we do that, we see the Lord is, is working through us. We see he's going to be pulling us and leaving comfort to pursue our calling. And I think it's something that we hear from our senior pastor. I don't think, I know we hear from our senior pastor constantly is that we are to be leaving our comfort. We are to be leaving the comfort of the Christianity is main. Our Christianity is maintained within these walls. And we do the Christian thing in here. And then we go out in the world and we kind of hide it. We cover it up. We just are busy in life. We're doing our thing. Like I said, that's, equally God, godlessness. But the, the true call that we have as believers is to leave our comfort, to leave those things, to do what Christ did in everything. We have a model that Christ already walked out in front of us. He left comfort of heaven. He came to a dirty and messed up world and he walked into it to save a people who were indulging in their sin and loving their sin and who are spitting in their face and pulling out his beard. He came to save you and me in the midst of our sin. And so we are to mimic our savior and leave our comfort, leave our silos, leave our clubs and go out into the area that you've been called to You're, as our passwords say are multiple, the, the mountains of influences that we have in life, your unique callings, your unique gifts, are for something specific. The Lord has wired you specifically to walk in a lane and to have uh, a ministry that is unique to you. And we are to leave the comfort and pursue our calling. We've seen our pastor model this through politics, right? He will be the first to tell you that when he got into politics, it was super uncomfortable. And a lot of times it's still uncomfortable for him. There was a major learning curve. It was really difficult. He got a ton of pushback. It was really discouraging, but pursuing a call, dying to himself, leaving comfort, not elevating his comfort above his call. That's my hope for myself. That's my hope for you. Whatever your call may be, that we would leave our comfort and we would pursue the calling that we have, that we would go out, that we would disperse, that we would fill the earth, that we would take the gospel that is changing us and humbling us and renewing us from the inside out daily, that we would take that to a lost and dying world. We would take that to Dos Vientos, that we would spread the good news, that we would spread his kingdom and his lordship to a community, to our city, to our state and to our country, that it would change for the better. Amen. Amen.